See, I'm really glad he's my tax attorney. Um, anybody get this? What, I'm sorry for anybody got this? No? Okay, great. I'm with you. All right, thank you, David. I, that was very helpful. Can I, can I just share one more thing? Please. Uh, at the end of the service, any uh, gifts or offerings you make are deductible on Schedule, e, uh, Schedule A as an itemized charitable contribution. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I did not ask him to share that information. Thank you, guys. Give him a hand, would you? Hey, Hank. Hank, I see preaching in your future. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, three young men, more or less, David, um, up here, sharing what they know about taxes. Now, Hank, four or five-year-old, that was great. Compared to David, he didn't know a ton about taxes, but you know what? That's okay for Hank, right? It's okay for Hank not to know a whole lot about taxes. Now, for Casey, he's 12 soon. Casey, you could have known a little more about taxes, but that's okay. It's okay for you to know what you know or not to know what you don't know yet. For David, it is necessary and good and great for me and my taxes that he knows what he's doing, that he knows the ins and outs of the tax code and how I can find loopholes and so on. Um, (laughs) Or he finds the loopholes that I go through. Um, but as you, as you could see, there was a progression. I'm sure when Dave was five, he probably knew about as much as Hank did this morning. It would be horrible if David today, as a tax attorney, especially my tax attorney, would know only what Hank does, right? See, it's very similar when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our belief that It's okay at certain stages in our life to know and believe a certain way in certain things. But there should be, as we grow in our walk with Jesus and our pursuit of him, there should be a progression, a growth in our knowledge and in in, in what we believe. Now, I know that some of you are here this morning and you you have not decided to be a follower of Jesus yet. You uh, you don't believe yet. You, you are not a believer in Jesus Christ yet. And that's okay for where you are. Others of you are really young in the faith. You have just very recently accepted Jesus into your life, decided to follow him, and, and you are a baby believer. And actually, this, this um, Friday, um, we had a funeral in here. Okay, we had a funeral in here. As you might have heard, our, one of our members died very suddenly on Monday, Lisa Wood. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But um, I think it was her husband or David read a short entry from her journal. And she just decided to follow Jesus earlier this year. And in her journal, she wrote at some point that she's not even a baby believer. She feels like an embryo believer. That she's just so new to this that, that she felt like an embryo believer. And then there's, there's baby believers. There's toddler believers who in their faith are trying to start really walking with Jesus. But sometimes it's just, we just don't know what we're doing yet. And a little wobbly on our feet. And, and we'll crawl again and, and walk again. And teenage believers. Who, who have started to know a little more. There's a little more maturity, but there's still a lot of doubts and, and, and questions and trying to find answers. And adult believers, senior citizen believers that we can learn from and their maturity in Jesus. The point is, there should be a progression in, in how and what we believe. 
there should be a progression. And the Bible tells us that God's desire is clearly for everyone to believe. His desire is for all of us to know him, to know who he is, and to put our faith in him. That's his desire. And so he wants us to know him, to believe in him, and to grow in our faith. And throughout our lives, he will give us opportunities to do that. He will give us opportunities to initially know him, to put our faith in him. And, and if we have, he will continue to give us opportunities to grow in our faith and in our belief in him. And that is really what the story of today is about. The story we're going to look at today in the Bible centers around a person called Lazarus. Really, all we know about Lazarus is that he had two sisters, that he got sick and died, and that Jesus rose, raised him again from the dead. That's all we know about him. It's a very short message today. That's pretty much all we know. But I, wanna, I want to tell you a little bit of what happens right before we hear this story about Lazarus. And we find his story in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. I'm actually not going to read you the whole story. I'm going to tell you a little bit of what we know about him and what happened right before. In, in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem, in the capital of Israel, um, and he healed a, a man who was born blind. Um, and he did this on the Sabbath. Now, the Jews had a, had a thing about not working on the Sabbath. When Jesus healed this man who was born blind... The, the authorities were a little upset about that because they considered it work, that he had worked on, on Sunday, and they weren't real happy about this guy seeing again, and they were questioning what happened. And so they're questioning this man and, and trying to argue with him and, and of what happened um, because Jesus had clearly revealed his divine power in this man's life. Healing a, a blind man, giving sight to a blind man was an Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah. But you see, the religious leaders here didn't want to believe what just happened because they knew there would be consequences. If they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, there would be consequences that would affect their position of power and influence. And so they got really, really upset when they could not refute that Jesus had just healed this man who had been born blind. And they plotted to kill Jesus. And so Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem to, to get away from this situation. And it's, it's when, they, when they left Israel and went out um, quite a bit away, when Jesus gets word from two sisters that were close friends with him, Mary and Martha. And we, we see them in Jesus' life throughout the Gospels at different times. They, they loved Jesus, they followed him, they believed in him, and they sent word to him that this, their brother Lazarus, who was also a close friend of Jesus, had gotten very, very sick. And it was, it was grave enough and dangerous enough that they felt they needed to let Jesus know to come and heal him. They had seen Jesus do miracles all over, and, and Jesus had healed people wherever he went. And so they said, we got to send for him. So they sent word to Jesus, please come to Bethany, where they lived. Our, our brother Lazarus, your friend, is very sick. And when he, we got to realize this information back then didn't travel like it did today. Mary didn't go uh, on Facebook and, and Facebook her Facebook friend Jesus and said, instant message, Jesus, Lazarus sick, come right away, or email. It, it didn't work like that. They had to send somebody probably for several days to go and find Jesus. And then you would think when, when he gets this message, oh man, you've already been, been on, you know, on the road for a couple of days. I, we got to get there quick. He's really sick. 
But Jesus says, you know what? He says to his disciples, well, we'll stay here for another couple of days. We'll, we'll wait. We won't go there right away. And so that was a little odd. Then when he did say, okay, you know what? We're going to go to Bethany now. We're going to go see Lazarus. The disciples were really alarmed because Bethany was really close to Jerusalem where the people were that wanted to kill Jesus. So they really didn't want him to go. But they did. And they got to Bethany. And by the time they got to Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, Lazarus had already been dead and in the grave for four days. For four days. And so when, when Martha and Mary hear that Jesus is approaching the, the city, Martha runs out to meet him. And, uh, and she, she greets him and she says the following in 11, chapter 11 where we find the story in the Gospel of John, verse, 20, uh, verse 21. She says this to Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had only been here, Lazarus would not have died. Later on, then Jesus goes into the city and then also sees Mary. And Mary, in verse 32, says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Think what they're communicating here, what I'm hearing them say is, Jesus, we sent for you. We've seen you heal people all over. We expected you to come and, and heal Lazarus and keep this from happening. It seems they, they had a clear expectation to come and intervene that Jesus didn't meet. Interestingly, the, the disciples also had an expectation of Jesus in this situation. We find that a little earlier in the chapter in verse 8 when he says, okay, now it's time to go back to Judea and, and see Lazarus. The disciples said, but rabbi, which means teacher, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, to kill you, and yet you're going back there? So they were worried. Their expectation was, now we're not going back there. They were worried about Jesus' safety and I'm assuming their own safety. So both these parties, Mary and Martha and the disciples, had expectations of Jesus that he did not meet. Neither one. Have you ever found yourself in that place where you've had an expectation of God to, to do something, to act in a certain way, to provide in a certain way, and he didn't meet your expectation? You know, oftentimes I, I hear people say who have the experience of God coming through for them, as we sometimes say, where God answers a prayer, provides, where he, he protects in a, in a dangerous situation. And you know what I often hear people say? Say, God is good. God is good when he meets my expectations. But you see, God, if God is good by nature, is he not good? when he doesn't meet our expectations? How do we deal with God not meeting our expectations, God not doing what we expect him to do? Sometimes we seem to believe as, as Christians that if God is good and he really loves us, everything will be okay. Everything will be provided for and, and there won't be hurt and there won't be pain. If God truly loved us and truly cared for us. But that does not seem to go along with what we see in Scripture. The assumption that God will always provide and always, always answer in the way we expect just is not right. 
And it seems to me, when I read what Jesus does here, that he's very intentional about this. It's not like, oops, oh, I guess I should have gone right away. Oh, man, I shouldn't have stayed these two days. It seems very intentional that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Let's go back to chapter 11 here and look at verses 11 through 15. So after he tells the disciples, we're going to go now. We're going to go. I know you're worried about this, but we're going to go. He says, after he had said this to the disciples, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. See, this isn't catching Jesus by surprise. And neither is your situation. Whatever you're going through is not catching God by surprise. Jesus is very intentional here. And he gives us the reason here. Now, he says, I, I'm, I'm glad this happened so that you will believe. Now, I, I read this and I think, now wait, they're already his disciples. They've already left everything behind that they knew. Their family, their jobs, and they've, they're traveling with him for several years. Don't they believe yet? Yeah, they believe. They believe certain things about Jesus. But obviously, Jesus isn't done teaching them more. There is more that they need to know about him. There is more that they need to believe about him. So basically what he is saying to them here is, guys, your safety. Remember, they were worried about going back to Judea for, for Jesus and their safety reason. And he said, basically, guys, I'm not so worried about you or my safety. That is not my primary concern. My primary concern for you guys is that you will know me more and that you will believe more and deeper. And basically what he's saying to Mary and Martha by not having been there for them and by, by what he's going to do in this situation, he's telling Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha and everybody there else that is watching, Lazarus's life, his physical life and health is not my top and primary concern. My concern is that you really know and believe that I am the Son of God who has come to save this world. That is his priority concern. And I think the problem with our expectations often is that we think our safety, our comfort, our health, our prosperity should be his primary concern when it is always our faith in him that is his primary concern. And that will always drive his actions in our lives. But I don't want to be too harsh with the disciples or with Mary and Martha. Haven't we all put our agenda above God's in our lives? Haven't we all sat down and made a few suggestions? Okay, God, listen, I, I got a really great plan here. It'd be really good if you could get on board with me because this is going to be good for both of us. It's going to be a win-win situation, you know. Haven't we all done that and then come away like, well, God, what? You didn't think that was a good idea? I know I do this all the time. And, and we do this, I think, often with really great intentions. On Monday afternoon, Dave... Nelson and I were at the hospital up at uh, the university hospital. And the Woods family has given me permission to share some of this with you. Lisa Wood, who uh, 
served coffee here in the coffee bar on our connections team last Sunday. Had a conversation there with her. Healthy, vibrant woman who had fallen in love with Jesus. Went on a run on Monday morning and collapsed. Cardiac arrest. Passed away later that afternoon at the hospital. And there was one time when Dave took me aside and I went into a room. It was before she had passed away, but we knew it was really bad. We knew it was bad. We knew the doctors were fighting for her life, and so was she. And we sat down, and Dave said, we prayed, and Dave prayed, God, we know you can do a miracle right now. You can do it. You can heal that heart that is so damaged. And God, these doctors would see your glory. They would see that this can only be you. And how could they not believe in you? And we prayed really from the bottom of our heart for God to do a miracle. But you know what? That wasn't in his plan. It was our desire. And that was okay. I remember when my dad was in a car accident and he was in the hospital and they were fighting for his life in surgery and I was on my knees at home just praying for a miracle. And with him too, God, God allowed him to go and he took him. We have these, these times where our desires are so deep and we want to we wanna plead with God for those desires on a man, much more mundane level. I remember as a, as a young teenager just explaining to God how great it would be if I would become a professional soccer player and the impact that I could have for him if I was the best player in the world and people would listen to me. You know, and you know we have desires and there is nothing wrong with bringing the desires of our heart to God. Actually, the Bible encourages us to do it. There was nothing wrong with us praying for a miracle for Lisa on Monday. There was nothing wrong with me praying for my father's life to be spared. There was maybe something selfish going on with my praying for being a professional soccer player. But you know what? It's the desires of our heart and we can bring those to him. But we just have to know that God will do what he will do. And that we can't always expect him to act in the way that we think he should. And we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready to submit our desires to his will. And the question is, can we see those times? The times where he doesn't act as we desperately want him to. When he doesn't act as we expect him to. Can we see those times as opportunities? Just like Jesus is giving the disciples and Mary and Martha and the people that are watching and have certain expectations, he's giving them an opportunity to learn something new about him, to learn something new that will deepen their faith in him. Can we come to the point where we can see those times in our lives where he doesn't meet our expectations? Can we see them as opportunities and submit and say, okay, Whatever you want to do, I want to learn more about you. And I want you to deepen my faith and my, my belief in you. Can we believe when God does not meet our expectations? Let's continue back with our story. 
So Jesus is, is in Bethany. Both the sisters have expressed, if you had only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And I find, I find they're showing great faith, great belief in Jesus, great confidence by saying that, don't they? I mean, there doesn't even seem to be a doubt in their mind. says, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. I think that is great faith and great, great confidence in what they know Jesus could have done and would have done in their mind. Then that conversation that he has with Martha continues. After she says this, let's go to verse 22 to 24. So she had just said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she says this in verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So not just does she express great faith and confidence in what he could have done had he been there. She also says, I know even in this situation, you could ask for anything and it would happen. It seems to me she, she has belief in the impossible. She believes that Lazarus could actually be risen from the dead. And then Jesus says he will rise again. But then her, her faith just has a little kink in it. She says, yeah, I know. In the end of time, when, when all people who believe in you will be risen, he will be risen. See, she, she, she says she believes Jesus can do anything he wants to do. But then that last step of actually believing of Lazarus actually stepping out of that grave isn't quite there, is it? She's lacking that last little bit to, to really believe Jesus for the impossible. See, in Jewish tradition, when somebody has been dead for three days, that's when they believed the spirit had actually eventually completely left the body. Then that was when all hope was gone after three days of, of apparent death. Now, Lazarus has been in the grave for how long at this point? Four days. This was done. This was a done deal. In, in their culture, this, there was no possible possibility of Lazarus being raised again. It was impossible. And Martha lacked that last little bit of belief for the impossible. Do you? Do you actually, ask yourself, do you actually believe God for the impossible. How often do you come to an impasse where you're saying, well, that's impossible. One time that I, that's very vivid in my mind is about two and a half, maybe three years ago now, when Dave Nelson called me up in Germany and said, hey, would you guys consider coming to Salt Lake City and be a campus pastor? Literally, my, the first word out of my wife and my, my mouth was, that's impossible. It's a first, oh, that's impossible. I had just accepted a, a position of greater responsibility within the organization that I had worked with. I had made a verbal commitment to, to be there for a certain amount of time and, and to the staff and our daughter had certain needs. And right away, we were just, oh, that's impossible. And, and this is what Dave said to us. He said, you know what? I, I respect, if, if where you are is where God has you, I respect that. But would you pray for God to do the impossible if that's what he wants to do? And he says, because I've seen him do the impossible. And we were like, well, how am I going to say no? I'm not going to pray about this. So we said, okay, we'll pray about this. We'll pray about it and say, yeah, whatever, Dave. And literally, my wife, when the first email came, she actually said, erase that. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> anyway, 
She is led by the Holy Spirit most of the time. <laughs> but have you ever come to situations when it's like, ah, that's impossible, and you just kind of move on without even considering bringing it before God and say, God, is, do you want to do what seems impossible to me? Do we have the belief to do that? That's impossible. I hear that a lot, actually. You know, I have a lot of conversations with you. A lot of people come and, and see me or Dave or others and want to talk about situations, and I hear this a lot. That's impossible. When we talk about your marriage being reconciled, that's impossible. When we talk about choices your children have made and, and you so desperately want them to come back and have their lives turned around, and that seems impossible. When you've been so hurt that forgiving someone just is impossible. When your financial situation is so overwhelming that seeing any relief seems impossible. When finding a job after three, four years of unemployment just seems impossible. You've been there? I hear this all the time. We often stand in our lives before the, this mountain in front of us, this challenge that seems insurmountable, and getting over that seems impossible. See, this is what he's talking about here. This is where God wants us to, to know him so deeply, where we know that he can do the impossible. It's a great verse. It's one of my favorite verses. It's in Ephesians 3.20. Forgot to write it down, but it, it says that he, who, that, that God can do immeasurably more than we would even dare to ask or imagine through the power, that, through his power that lives in us. You see, with him and through him, we can do the impossible. Actually, not us, but he can do it through us and for us. Do we have that kind of faith, that belief that where we believe in the impossible? And can you think of something more definite and, and hopeless than physical death? I mean, when someone's dead, they're dead, right? That's, that's the end of that line. But in Lazarus' life, Jesus overcame that. He called him out of the grave. In his own life, Jesus overcame death. If Jesus can overcome death, and he did, I want to tell you he can overcome whatever seems impossible in your life. If we have the faith to bring it to him and trust him with it. Do we have faith for the impossible? If he overcame death... He can overcome your marriage problems. He can overcome issues with your children. He can give you the strength to forgive. He can provide. Do we have faith? Do we believe God for the impossible today? Or do we let our, our mind and our rationale get in the way of that? Will you believe him for what seems impossible to you today. Let's get back to our story. We're back in Bethany. 
And so Jesus has basically told him, I will, I will raise him again. They're still not quite getting it and understanding it. And there's an interesting comment that people make that are bystanders, that are watching this. We, we read in this story, and I would encourage you to read this this afternoon. If you have time, read chapter 11, maybe even start with chapter 9 through 11 of the Gospel of John. Just read the story again. There's a lot of people that came from Jerusalem. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus must have been popular people and fairly well-known. A lot of people came to mourn with them, and, and so they were observing what was going on here between Jesus and, and Mary and Martha, and what would he do? He was, a, he was a celebrity. They knew that he had healed people all over the, the place, and so they were watching this, and there's an interesting comment that they make in verse 37. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, remember in chapter 9, the blind man, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Couldn't he? I mean, he, he healed the guy that was born blind. That's pretty hopeless. He gave him sight. If he did that, how come he didn't do this for Lazarus? What I see here and read here is, is confusion. It's like, I don't understand. Well, they, they're, they're perplexed. They're frustrated, maybe even, even angry. Why wouldn't he have saved our friend Lazarus if he did this? You know what I see here? I'm asking, why do some get healed and some don't? Why are some provided for and some are seemingly not? Why do some have this kind of life and some don't? Don't we all have that question at times? Why here and not here, for goodness sakes? Ever been there? Ever been frustrated about that and angry? And ask God, what is going on? That seems to be what they are asking. And I tell you, I've been there. I've been there where I've just said, God, why? <laughs> or why not? When I got that phone call from the hospital that my father had died in that surgery, I dropped on my knees and just screamed and said, why? And I don't know if, if Preston and his children are, are there or there yet and I'm pretty sure that question will come if it isn't there yet. God, why a healthy woman, 43 years old, just like that? Why? Why? Do you know what? It's okay to ask. It is okay to ask why. It is okay to pour out our heart and let God know that we don't understand. And we don't have a clue. We just have to know that there's times where God chooses not to answer that. And you know what? Sometimes we're, we tend to, as Christians, to try and have all the right answers and, and a pat answer here and throw a Bible verse at you there. You know what? We don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I don't get all the answers to my questions. But you see, that's where faith and belief comes in. What do I know about Jesus that carries me through the times of uncertainty, of times when I don't understand what is going on? And that's the third question I think that this story poses to us is, will we believe God when we just do not understand what the heck he is doing? Will we have belief and faith in him even when we don't understand what he is doing? 
Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. My ways are different from, from the ways that you can think up, that I can think up. What he's asking us is trust me. Believe in me. I want to take you back to the interview here early on that we did with Hank and Casey and Dave. When Dave was talking over here, I had no idea what the heck he was talking about. I hope that was the case for most of you too. It's like, man, what is he talking about? But you see, here, here's the point. I don't, I, I, don't, I have a hard time comparing David to God here, but I kind of have to. Um, so just the, just the fact that what David was talking about made no sense to me, that I didn't understand what he was talking about at all, does not mean that what he said isn't right and true and applicable to me, right? See, and it's, it's, very, it's very similar in our relationship with God. We don't understand God. We can't understand. How could we understand a God who created all of the universe, who takes one look at history and sees it unfold, and I see this <laughs> at best, at very best. How could I possibly understand him? But just the fact that I don't understand him doesn't mean he's true and right and sovereign and knows what he's doing. Do I have the belief and the faith to trust him when I don't understand? Do you have faith and believe in him even when we don't understand what's going on? That is what he's asking of us. I love this story in Mark chapter 9. There's a man, a father, comes to Jesus and he's desperate. And when do parents get most desperate? When kids are involved, right? Oh man, I, I'd do anything for my kids and so would this guy. He had a son. We don't really know how old he was, but he was possessed by an evil spirit and did did painful things to himself, threw himself in the fire, and, and this father was desperate. He had gone to the disciples to ask them to pray over him, and they couldn't do anything, and, and he was absolutely desperate, and he came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I know you can do something. I know you can help my son. And Jesus says to him, it's in, in chapter 9 of, of uh, Mark, he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And then his, the father says this, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Don't you love that? Doesn't that perfectly describe the tension that we find ourselves? I find myself in that tension all the time. I believe in Jesus, but do I really trust him with my kids and my finances and my safety? There's all these times where, yeah, I believe in you, but, oh, God, I don't know. God, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. You ever find yourself there? See, that's what he's asking of us. I think it's this prayer that he loves to hear from us in these situations where we don't understand. Where we say, God, I don't understand, but I believe you. Please help me overcome my unbelief. You could be the next to believe. You could be the next to believe a little more. 
you could be the next to believe when things don't go as expected. You could be the next to believe when, when things seem impossible. You could be the next to believe when you just don't understand what's going on. See, we need to remember that this story about Lazarus, and did you realize we didn't really talk a lot about Lazarus, <laughs> did we? He was just sitting in that grave. <laughs> and then Jesus did call him out, and he, he came back to life, and he was actually, it says in there, I love how they give us all these details, he was already smelling really bad <laughs> at the time, and Jesus miraculously changed that too, I think. Um, but he called him out. But you see, this story isn't really about Lazarus and Lazarus being raised again. This story is about Jesus revealing to his disciples, to Mary and Martha, and to everybody that was watching, it was about Jesus revealing that he is the resurrection and the life, that he is who he claimed he was, that he was the son of God who came to save the world. And it is all about, this story is all about how do we respond to that? What do we do with that knowledge? What did this do to the disciples? What did this do to Mary and Martha? What did this do to the people around them? And to a lot of them, this confirmed he is the son of God and they believed and they put their faith in him. Others also believed that he was who he was, but they decided they, they didn't want that to be true. They'd rather kill him for their own power's sake. But you see, this is the all-important question that comes out of this story and out of this book is, do you believe? Do you believe? It's the all-important question. In Romans 10 verse 9, it says, I won't go there now, I'll paraphrase it for you. Romans 10 verse 9 is, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and has risen from the dead to give you life, then you will be saved. That is the all-important question. Do you believe? That's what was important to Jesus in that situation. Do you believe? See, when he, when he told them, I'm going to raise him. And he said, please take me to his grave. And Martha and Mary is weeping. And so is everybody else. They're weeping after he's already told them, I'll raise him. And then it says, I think it's in verse 35 in chapter 11. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you want to start memorizing scripture, this is a great verse to start. Two words, Jesus wept. Okay, So you've already memorized a verse now. Jesus wept. And oftentimes that verse is taken to console people who are weeping and mourning. See, Jesus mourned. He was saddened by this loss. And I was going to tell you, I think that's a misinterpretation of that verse. Because he's not mourning that Lazarus died. He knows he's on his way to raise him. He's going to walk out of that grave, a healthy man in this. He is not mourning the loss of Lazarus because Lazarus wasn't lost. What he is mourning is that they don't recognize who he is and don't believe that he's the son of God. That's what he's mourning. And that's what God is mourning when we don't believe. That is at the center of everything he wants you to know is that he is the son of God who wants you to know him and his love. See, I want to call Times like this where Jesus reveals himself to people, a Lazarus moment. 
And I know God gives all of us these Lazarus moments throughout our lives. The, the, the Lazarus moment where he initially kind of reveals himself to us, where we have an encounter with Jesus, where for the first time maybe we start thinking, whoa, is this, is this for real? Where he reveals himself to you. And it starts a process in your life where you need to start to come to terms with things. Do I believe this or do I not? And then if you come to the conclusion, you believe in Jesus, you become a follower of him, there will continue to be these Lazarus moments where Jesus just reveals a little bit more about himself to you to grow your love for him and to grow your faith in the levels of your belief to a deeper level. Question is, are we ready for those Lazarus moments? Are we Are we ready to take advantage of these opportunities to grow in our faith and to deepen our beliefs? If you already are a follower of Jesus, then I know he, he gives us these moments from time to time. And it's in these moments where we are challenged to, to take the, taking that extra step of faith with him. And only by taking these extra steps of faith can we learn more about him because then we're giving him the opportunity to reveal more of him in our lives and to deepen our trust. And then maybe you're here and you don't know him yet. Maybe you haven't had this Lazarus moment. If he hasn't given you this moment of initial, initially kind of revealing himself to you and, and meeting you in a very personal place, I know he will. And may, maybe this morning is that time for you. I just want to encourage you that God is pursuing you. Jesus is pursuing you because what he wants more than anything is for you to know that he is who he claimed he is, that he is the son of God, that he loves you deeply and that he wants you to know and experience this love and a personal intimate relationship with him. And so I just want to encourage you to seize your Lazarus moment, whether it is your initial Lazarus moment or one that just takes you further on your journey. Seize that opportunity. And if you're here this morning and you, you find yourself in the place where, man, I, I really want to believe, but I just don't know how, pray that prayer of the Father in Mark 9. Let him know, man, I want to believe. Please help me overcome my unbelief. Give me faith. So I just want to ask the band to come up, and I'm late with that. I'm sorry, hurry. But I want to encourage you to, to be ready. In prayer, prepare yourself for those Lazarus moments and seize them. Take advantage of them.